The records don't lie, but your ancestors might. Welcome to The Criminal Genealogist, where true crime and genealogy intersect. Shot dead. An unfortunate affair occurred in Pleasant Valley on Thursday night by which a young man named Michael Hogan lost his life. It appears that Hogan, in company with two or three other young men, were on their way to attend a wake, and while passing the premises of Mr. John Mitchell, who has lived in Pleasant Valley for many years and who has long been in the employ of the coal company, Hogan got onto the fence and reached upward among the branches of a plum tree to get some of the fruit. While thus employed, a loud report was heard, and poor Hogan fell bleeding and senseless to the ground. He was at once conveyed to his home by his companions when it was discovered that a charge of shot had entered the face and penetrated the brain of the young man. He lingered in agony for 30 minutes when he expired. In the meantime, word was conveyed to Justice Reap, who issued a warrant for the arrest of Mitchell, and he was brought before the justice. A hearing was waived and the prisoner was conveyed to Wilkes-Barre Jail, where he is now. Great excitement prevails in the neighborhood of Pleasant Valley, and the statements concerning the fatal affairs are so conflicting that in justice to all parties, we can only give today the simple facts without comment. This is an article from the Luzerne Leader in Pittston, Pennsylvania from August 12, 1876 describing the moment on a Thursday night, August 10th, where a young man lost his life because he was stealing fruit from a tree by a Mr. John Mitchell. The question in this case is, is this Mr. John Mitchell the same John Mitchell of the ancestor in question? Hello, my criminal genies. Welcome back to another episode of the Criminal Genealogist Podcast. Glad to be back with an episode to finish season one. Want to stay in touch? Good news, you can. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We also have a brand new Patreon to help support the show. You will have access to behind the scenes of creating the podcast and other goodies. Now you can also leave us a voice message to give us feedback on the show or share your ancestors' criminal stories. You can go to speakpipe.com forward slash the criminal genealogist podcast, and I'll post all the links in the show notes. All right, let's get started. An interesting email I received from listener Amy, who sent me a story about her great great grandfather. His name, John Mitchell. If you listen to the first episode, you will understand why that is ironic. Never thought I would be talking about another John Mitchell, but here we are. Amy sent me the story about John and that he might have been responsible for killing a boy who stole fruit from his tree. The question on this one when digging into the research was whether the man who killed the boy was the same man who was Amy's ancestor. This episode took a little longer because it wasn't as clear cut if they were the same man. Let's start with a little background information before we dive into the story of John allegedly killing a young boy. John Mitchell lived in Avoca, Pennsylvania, which changed to Pleasant Valley during his time there, and is located in Luzerne County. 
His actual birth year is unknown, as he is listed with multiple ages throughout documents. He was likely born in Ireland about 1822, give or take a few years. According to Amy, he was a Civil War veteran and a conductor on a coal train. His wife was Mary Day Mitchell. Together, they had seven children, three boys and four girls. Their sixth child and third daughter, Elizabeth, is Amy's great-grandmother. All of the children were born circa 1857 to 1875. Okay, so at this point, we know that Amy's ancestor was living in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania area for quite a while, though we don't know exactly when he came to America, other than prior to 1850, as he is found in the census. I did find a John Mitchell coming to the U.S. from Ireland on June 18, 1845, and he is listed as 23 years of age. The name of the vessel is blank, unfortunately, and the port of entry says PA5S or something similar. I couldn't find anything with that code, but at that time, the ports of entry were only a handful, and Philadelphia was one of them, which is where I suspect he went. Now, this John would have been born about 1822, which makes it likely that this is the correct John Mitchell, but of course needs further validation. And earlier, I stated that Avoca changed its name to Pleasant Valley, but it's actually the other way around. It was originally Pleasant Valley, but was later changed to Avoca to match up with the post office. Now, Amy mentioned that her ancestor was a Civil War veteran, and there are two John Mitchells from the same area that enlisted at the same time. One was listed from Scotland and the other Ireland. The records for the one from Ireland should be our John Mitchell. He enlisted on October 28, 1862 at Camp Curtin, Pennsylvania, and mustered in November in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is about two hours to the south of Avoca today. He was part of the infantry, 177th Pennsylvania Drafted Militia, Company H. At the time of his enlistment, he was listed as 40 years of age, making his birth year about 1822, which lines up with our John Mitchell. Now, in the 1880 census, he was living, still living in Pleasant Valley of Oka with his wife and seven children, and he is the only adult John Mitchell enumerated in that township. And yes, I did go page by page through the census for Pleasant Valley to make sure, even though it was indexed. Just never know. John is listed as 58 years old, which puts his birth year about 1822, which again aligns with Amy's ancestor. Now, we know the tragic death of Michael Hogan took place in Pleasant Valley, Avoca, which is why I focused on the 1880 census there. And I have confirmed that there was only one adult, John Mitchell, as stated previously, on that census. That census was completed three and a half years after the shooting. However, prior to the shooting in 1870, the family was living in Pittston, which is in the same county and just miles from Avoca. Looking through the 1870 census for Pittston, there are two John Mitchells. First are John Mitchell, which states he was an engineer in age of 46. His inferred wife and children are the same as in 1860 and 1880. And per Amy, he was a railroad engineer, so that matches with the occupation given on the census. And his age of 46 would make his birth year about 1824, which is within the range of what has been speculated for our John Mitchell. The other John Mitchell also works on the railroad and also has a wife named Mary, but the children are not correct and his age is listed as 25 years old 
which is clearly not the right Don Mitchell to be Amy's ancestor or the one who was involved in the shooting. I say this because newspapers describe John Mitchell as an old man, but of course consider what is old in 1876. More on that later. The only other John Mitchells in Pittston in the 1870 census are children. There are some in Plains, Pennsylvania, but but that is too far from Avoca to associate them with the shooting in 1876. And those people still resided in Plains in 1880. I also checked Pittston in 1880 just to make sure that there were no John Mitchells. There was one, but he was 30, not married, and from Scotland. So we can rule him out. Based on all of this, I feel confident that the John Mitchell involved with the shooting of Michael Hogan is, in fact, Amy's ancestor. What throws the confidence off on this one are the ages listed throughout newspaper articles about the shooting. So, for example, one article states that John Mitchell was 60. Another states he was 65. If he was born about 1822, then in 1876, he would have been 54. And to further confuse things, his obituary in 1898 said he was 60. Uh, No, clearly they didn't validate ages before reporting anything in the papers in this area because he would have been 76, about 76. All right, I'll be back after this quick break. Learning about your family history creates connection to the past, the present, and the future. At My Genealogy Roots, we go on the journey with you as we discover the past and the ancestors before you. Our genealogists not only do the research for you, but they also engage with you to make sure you get to experience the journey of discovery. Contact us for your free 15-minute discovery call to see if we can help with your family history journey. Just go to MyGenealogyRoots.com and fill out the contact form. So before diving into what happened that night, there is one more thing that I want to note. Um, In 1864, after John came back from the Civil War and was working on the railroad, he had an accident and his left hand was injured and had to be amputated. So according to the Pittston Gazette from January 7th, 1864, it reads, Accident. Mr. John Mitchell, an engineer at number 22 on the Pennsylvania Coal Company's road, had been at work on an engine at Port Griffith on Christmas Day and was returning home in the evening when, as he jumped off the cars to go to his house, his feet slipped, and and as he fell, his left hand struck the track. The car passed over and crushed it, rendering amputation necessary. The hand was taken off just above the wrist on the same evening by Dr. Gorman. The patient is doing well. And the reason why I bring this up and why it's important is because it might have had a a role in the actual shooting, which I'll explain here in a little bit. Okay, let's talk about what happened that night. Depending on which articles you read, the story changes from evening to middle of the night, again with the not-so-high-quality reporting and a game of telephone. The article I read at the beginning of this episode stated it was a Thursday evening and that Michael was with two or three friends on their way to Awake and that Michael was taken to his home and died 30 minutes later. Yet another article states that Michael and a party of seven friends were returning from the wake at midnight and that after Michael was shot, he lived 20 minutes and that Michael's friends talked of lynching John Mitchell, though they called John Mitchell John Williams in this article. 
None of these articles state how old Michael Hogan was, just that he was a young man, though one called him a, quote, boy. There was one article that stated John was 65 and another that stated that he was 60, but both called him an old man. I guess in 1876, that was old. According to some articles, this was not the first time these gang of, quote, gang of thieves had happened upon Mr. Mitchell's property, stealing fruit from his trees. Amy speculated that her ancestor had intended to scare the thieves with his rifle, and since he only had one hand, perhaps the weapon slipped and hit the young man instead. What we do know is that John's testimony stated he never intended to kill the young man. After the shooting on the night of August 11, 1876, John was arrested and sent to Wilkes-Barre Prison. He was released on a $2,000 bond a few weeks later, and the trial was set for a few weeks after that. The case was heard on September 26, 1876, for which John Mitchell was charged with manslaughter. He entered a plea of guilty, and several witnesses were sworn in to show the peaceful character of Mr. Mitchell and that he was simply aggravated with this, quote, band of lawless boys, end quote, who continued to steal from his property. John testified himself, and it was stated that he had a genuine expression of sorrow, and everyone was sensibly affected by it. He was sentenced to pay a fine of $1 and cost and 60 days in county jail. Now, there's no mention of Michael Hogan's age, his family, or his burial, and I could find no death records for a Michael Hogan in that area in 1876. One thing that I did find was a blurb in the newspaper under the criminal trial list in the daily record of the Times newspaper out of Wilkes-Barre. It said, quote, John Mitchell, manslaughter, John Hogan, P-R-O-S. Now, I'm assuming that the P-R-O-S is short for the prosecutor and that this person could be related to the victim, which, of course, would be a major conflict of interest. So I searched the area for Michael Hogan's and with the birth years from 1855 to 1865 and found several that could be the Michael Hogan in question. And there was one whose father's name was John. This Michael would have been 17 in 1876. Unfortunately, without further information and time needed to research, I have to leave that research for someone else. It is assumed that John Mitchell continued to live his life with no further issues until his death in 1898, some 22 years after the shooting. His obituary and the many articles about his death showed what a valued asset John was to the community and how well-respected he was. John Mitchell died on January 6, 1898, in Avoca of progressive paralysis. His obituary reads as follows. John Mitchell, one of the most respected and one of the pioneer settlers of Avoca, died yesterday afternoon at 1.30 at the family residence on the west side. Mr. Mitchell came to this country when a boy, and after residing in Pittston a few years, he settled in Avoca, when there were but few houses in the neighborhood. He was employed as engineer on the old gravity number 22 plane, and there were but few travelers that did not recognize the kindly smile and cheerful word that greeted all who met him. He was among the first volunteers that responded to the call from President Lincoln, and after a few months furlough, he returned to his regiment, where he remained until the close of the war. After returning, he suffered the amputation of his right hand, but still continued as his post as engineer until the Gravity Road was abandoned when he procured employment as watchman. 
He was a devout Catholic, a man of strong character and sunny disposition. He was about 60 years of age and a resident of the town for about 38 years. A wife and seven children survive him. Now, of course, we noticed a couple of discrepancies in there where it said his right hand was amputated when actually it was his left hand and that he was about 60 years of age when he died, which would be inaccurate. More likely, he was around closer to 80 years of age. John's funeral was held the morning of January 10th at the family residence on the west side of Avoca. Prior to the funeral, a vast crowd assembled to pay their last respects to, quote, one of the oldest and most respected of Avoca citizens, end quote. Requiem Mass was celebrated in St. Mary's Church and his interim was made at St. Mary's Cemetery. Thank you, Amy, for sending me the story about your great-great-grandfather, John Mitchell. I started this very first season of the podcast with a John Mitchell, and it is only appropriate to end it that way with another. That worked out pretty well. Thank you to everyone for supporting this podcast with all the ups and downs. There will be a season two, and there will be a different format so I can remain consistent next year. I'm going to spend a few weeks off to reset and attend a week-long conference with the Salt Lake Institute of Genealogy, which is now from the comfort of my home due to COVID issues. Then I'm going to spend a long weekend with some friends in a cabin in the woods, which is a great place to research criminal ancestors. This means that season two will air its first episode on Wednesday, January 19th. Yes, we are moving to Wednesdays and we are going to have new episodes every other week. This allows proper time for research, recording, and editing so I can be consistent for all of you. Now, if I win the lottery, then I can be here every week, so wish me luck. Until then, send me your criminal ancestor stories for season two and season three if you want them to be featured. All my contact information is in the show notes. Have a happy new year, my criminal genies, and remember, records don't lie, but your ancestors might.